What up, bogeys? Someone suggested that name after I mentioned Swifties, Believers, and Directioners in a previous episode. Vogies? I'm not sold on it yet. Sounds like hoagies. That's what we call sub sandwiches back in Philly. Anyway, you know what I did last weekend? I went to Oppenheimer dressed as Ken. What? Don't hate. I'm Rich Vogel, and this is Stimulating Stuff. All right, welcome back to the Stimulating Stuff podcast. We are in the midst of the Barbenheimer craze. I'm always amazed at the things people get spun up about. Have you seen these Barbenheimer maps that have been published online? So they color code U.S. states in pink if Barbie is more popular there and blue if Oppenheimer is more popular. What's really interesting is the Barbenheimer map models the political map. In states that tend to vote Republican, Barbie's outpacing Oppenheimer. And in states that tend to vote Democrat, Oppenheimer's more popular. I don't know what to make of these maps, except people who make them have way too much time on their hands. Anyway, apologies to my listeners for the podcasting gap. It's been a few weeks since I published an episode. I took a little break for a summer vacation where I went to Asheville, North Carolina and St. Augustine, Florida. It was a solo trip. Beth couldn't make it because our dog had surgery, but I made the best of it. I put a couple thousand miles on the car and made some cool memories. You know what I did that was so much fun? I drove a road called Tale of the Dragon. You can hit pause and look it up, but don't forget about me. Come back and listen. Anyway, this road is on the western border of Smoky Mountain National Park. It has 318 hairpin turns in 11 miles, going down the side of a mountain. It's famous for people who like to drive a ride, and for those of you who don't know, I love to drive. I got a little speedster, and I love speed. Anyway, Tale of the Dragon, if you look it up, There's even a map online showing how many people died on the road, including the year and cause. Okay, that's morbid. Let's move on. Uh, I finished my vacation at the Asset Annual Meeting in Orlando. What a great meeting. There were so many great talks there, but my favorite was David Allison's talk on transabdominal motor action potentials, or uh, TMAPs, TA maps, whatever you want to call them. Uh, super cool talk. I gave a talk on motors in cranies and why the phenomenon of crossover, quote unquote, crossover, uh, probably isn't as useful as people think it is. Maybe I'll save that for a future episode. I want to give a special shout out to Claire Gale for kindly inviting me to speak at Asset and a big hello to Emily Kale. Adam Cornegay, Chris Moses, and Kevin Helm, all of whom I had the pleasure of meeting with in the spirit of enhancing the collaboration between ASM and Asset. I love going to conferences, and I would strongly encourage anyone who's listening to attend a conference if you haven't before. The energy is high, the education is great, everyone is friendly, and it's fun to network and meet new people. Speaking of education, think about this. You've been in neuromonitoring for a little while now. Maybe you've got some form of classroom education uh, supplemented with handouts to review. Maybe you got nothing at all. So you're out there on your own and you want to learn more. Where do you go for information? If your very first thought is social media, I'm not going to hate on you. There's some good stuff out there. But 
there's better stuff in other places. If you don't know about these other resources, well, don't you worry. Uncle Rich is going to help you out a little bit. Today, I'm going to be reviewing some top learning resources that are available out there. If you're wanting to improve your clinical knowledge or even if you're studying for the CNIM. So I want to share some of my favorite articles, books, and online learning resources. And I've done my best to try to focus on things that are free or cheap so that you don't have to spend money in your desire to learn and improve the level of care that you offer to patients. Sound good? Cool. All right, let's start with articles. And let me just say first, before I get into this stuff, is I don't want people to get butthurt if I don't mention your article or your book or whatever. Um, There's lots of great stuff out there. I mean, tons of great stuff. I'm just trying to focus on some of my favorites that are cheap or free for people to go and access. So first article is on motor evoke potentials. This is probably the best one out there that you can find. And it's free. It's by McDonald, Skinner, Shills, and Yinling. And the title is American Society of Neurophysiological Monitoring, Intraoperative Motor Evoked Potential Monitoring, a Position Statement by the ASNM. This was published in the journal Clinical Neurophysiology in 2013. It also discusses D-waves, but it goes into um, anatomy the vascular supply, uh, stimulation parameters, recording parameters, context and when it's used and uh, beneficial, alert criteria, etc., etc. It's great. And it's available for free. And here's how you get to it. Go to the ASNM's website. You don't need to be a member. Just go to the website, click on the resources tab, click on position statements, and then you'll see a whole bunch of them. And Motor Evoke Potentials is one of them. That's how you find that. By the way, there's also position statements that are pretty good on ABRs, EMG, reflexes, SSCPs, EEG, transcranial Doppler, professional practice guidelines, business practices in neuromonitoring, and even a position statement on state licensure and title protection. So uh, that's a great resource. Go to the ASNM's website. You can download that article for free, full of great information. Now I'm going to move on to SSCPs. This article is entitled uh, Recommendations of the International Society of Intraoperative Neurophysiology for Intraoperative Somatosensory Evoked Potentials. It was published by McDonald, Dong, and a few others, and it was uh, published in Clinical Neurophysiology Journal in 2019. Okay, this one's available for free, but you have to take a different route. So you have to go to PubMed. And this is PubMed, if you're not aware of it, is a free search tool that is offered by the National Library of Medicine. So just Google the term PubMed, P-U-B is in Bravo, M-E-D as in Delta. So once you get to PubMed, type the title into the search box, click on the article's link when it comes up. And then you'll see a little orange open access box on the right-hand side of the page. 
just click that and then you'll see something that says view PDF and then you can download the article from there. You're probably listening to me like, what the hell? I can't pay attention to all of this stuff. How am I going to do this? I'm driving. I'm listening to you. Rich, you ought to just be happy that I'm listening to you. Uh, I'm not going to be able to go find this stuff because I can't follow your instructions. Don't worry about it. Guess what? In the next few weeks, I'm going to be launching a website. And you can go to that website and you'll be able to access the same information I'll point you in the right direction. But if you happen to be sitting at a laptop and you're listening, this is how you find this stuff. All right, so three more articles that I think are uh, great in the SSCP realm. And if you're a member of ASSET, because all of these were published in the Neurodiagnostic Journal, you can just go to that journal with your ASSET login and you can download these papers. All three of these papers are published with the first author, David Allison, and they're all about misconceptions in neuromonitoring, all three. So part one is on interleaved SSCPs. Part two is on does anodal blocking occur and is bipolar stimulation necessary with SSCPs? And part three is about stimulation repetition rates and SSCPs and the effect on amplitude and latency. So those are great. Uh, and I like them because in my observation over the years, there are so many misconceptions out there about literally every modality, but certainly SSCPs. People, they live and die by these misconceptions and they don't even know it. And uh, I think it's great that, that Dave Allison and uh, several colleagues, including Justin Silverstein and Jeff Balzer, among others, have uh, joined together to write some of these articles. All right, moving on. EMG. So this is a tough one, but I'll tell you some of my favorite articles related to EMG because there, there's a lot. Um, the first one is by Romstock as the first author, and it's called Continuous Electromyography Monitoring of Motor Cranial Nerves During CPA Surgery. Now, this is focused on the facial nerve, obviously. It's also not free. It's published in the Journal of Neurosurgery, so you need institutional access to get it. But it defines what types of EMG are of concern and not of concern. It determines if you've ever heard somebody say A-train, B-train, C-train EMG, or if you've heard uh, folks say bomber potentials or neurotonic EMG, it really dives into what these things mean and um, helps to operationally define what types of EMG might be considered an alert. So, for example, what is the uh, frequency of firing? What is the amplitude of firing? That type of thing. So if somebody ever said to you, well, what is your alert criteria for free-running EMG? This article will help you come up with a specific definition of what constitutes an alert in your mind doesn't mean that you need to follow it to the letter, but it really helps to define patterns of EMG. All right, the second one is by Shermer and colleagues. This is from 2011, so it's over 10 years old, but still one of my favorite papers. And some of the people that are authors on this paper include uh, Jay Shills, Jeff Arlay, 
Chris Martin, Carl Feltz. Um, there's, there's other ones on here that I don't personally know, but this is a great group of folks. Anyway, the title of the article is Heuristic Map of Myotomal Innervation in Humans Using Direct Intraoperative Nerve Root Stimulation. Also, uh, it's published in the Journal of Neurosurgery Spine. What I love about this paper is a lot of people tend to think, okay, if I stimulate an, um, let's just say a C5 nerve root, and I record from a variety of muscles, 100% of the time, I should get deltoid and bicep because they're both innervated by the C5 nerve root, right? You could say the same thing for like L5, right? If I stimulate an L5 screw, the muscle that responds should be the tibialis anterior, right? But in stimulating these nerves, what they found out was that, I think what a lot of us already knew, but they demonstrated it, that there's a variety of different muscles that can respond, and that is related to individual differences. So let me give you an example. Let's say you stimulate that L4 pedicle screw, and you don't get a response from the TA, but instead you get it from the gastroc, and you say, I'm going to ignore that because the gastroc is supposed to be S1. Well, bad decision, because there are patients where that L5 nerve root, if you stimulate it, the muscle that's going to predominantly respond in that patient is the gastroc, and that's okay. So it helps to understand how individual differences may contribute to the patterns of activity activation in muscles that you see when you stimulate nerve roots. And the last EMG paper that's a favorite of mine is, oh, this is a long one, but it's by uh, Cartouche and colleagues, and those colleagues include Kent Rice, Rob Minahan, um, uh, Gene Balzer, uh, Chuck Yinling, and Christoph Soyber. And it is entitled Best Practices in Facial Nerve Monitoring, published 2021 in the journal Laryngoscope. Uh, this is one that you'll also, I, I don't know if this is free or not. Uh, you may have to search this one on PubMed and look for that um, uh, free uh, PDF view link. Anyway, it's a long article, but it goes into every aspect of facial nerve monitoring, and it includes a checklist that I think is really important to use when you're monitoring the facial nerve. So great paper. There's also the ASNM position statement on EMG that I mentioned earlier. That also covers pedicle screw stimulation. In my mind, it's a little bit outdated at this point because pedicle screws have evolved significantly since the days of stainless steel screws. Probably needs to be updated. In fact, I believe it is being updated, but nevertheless, it's filled with great information. So go to the ASNM's website, go to the resources tab, and then look for the position statements. Okay, uh, other modalities, uh, ABRs and EEG, in my mind, if you're just trying to learn the basics of these things, I think books and chapters are probably better. Although there are position statements on these modalities from both ASNM and ACNS. But in terms of learning the basics, meaning the anatomy, the vascular perfusion, where you should place your electrodes, what it means to use rarefaction versus alternating stimulation, for example. Uh, where is the best place to place your electrodes for EEG? 
when you're monitoring a carotid, for example, or versus maybe a uh, cardiothoracic procedure. So um, I'll come back to a couple of books later, chapters. So I'm going to move on to the last modality, I think, which is train of four and neuromuscular blockade. There's a lot of different articles out there, and I could give you ones on different topics. But if you're looking for a good place to start, I think I would recommend a article by Todd Sloan, who's an anesthesiologist and uh, one of the uh, great historical leaders in intraoperative neuromonitoring. The article is called Muscle Relaxant Use During Intraoperative Neurophysiological Monitoring published in Journal of Clinical Monitoring and Computing in 2013. I think it's a great place to start. I don't know if that article is free or not, but at the very least, if you go on PubMed, you can read the abstract. Maybe one of my listeners can tell me if that one's free or not, because I didn't put it in my notes here. Uh, One of the things that you should be aware of for that article is it doesn't discuss Shigamidex because the article was published, as I said, in 2013, and Shigamidex wasn't approved by the FDA until 2015. Okay, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll talk about some important books and online educational resources. Veridical RCM is a special kind of revenue cycle management company specializing in intraoperative monitoring, billing, and collections which is often misunderstood by the insurance industry, by hospital administration, and ultimately, patients. Veridical considers each contract a partnership, reviewing and making recommendations for improvement in all areas that impact revenue, including scheduling, credentialing, clinical documentation, infrastructure, charge master review, and facility contracting. The Veridical RCM team has a deep understanding of the changes affecting revenue with the implementation of the Federal No Surprises Act and each state's rules regarding surprise billing. They use this knowledge concurrently with each payer's medical policy guidelines to compliantly optimize revenue capture. Whether you choose to keep the revenue cycle in-house or outsource to a third-party billing company, you can definitely benefit from their guidance. Visit www.veridicalrcm.com for more information. That's V as in victory, E-R-I-D-I-C-A-L-R-C-M.com. And we're back. I'm talking about some of my favorite learning resources. Let's move on to some books. So uh, I have a few here that I put in my notes that I wanted to share with you. The first one is called Surgical Neurophysiology, a Reference Guide to Intraoperative Neurophysiological Monitoring, second edition by Faisal Jangari. It is a great resource in my mind for people who are studying for neuromonitoring board exams. I think there's good stuff in there for the CNIM. Uh, particularly the first chapter, I believe it's the first chapter, which is on like instrumentation, filters, things like that. I think that's a great resource. Second book is Intraoperative Neurophysiological Monitoring, third edition, published in 2011 by Agi Mower, who was one of the founding fathers of intraoperative neuromonitoring. And 
That is also a great resource for studying for the uh, for any neuromonitoring board exam. There's great information in there on ABRs. So when I mentioned a few minutes ago that I didn't really have an article that was good for building that initial foundation, I think some of the chapters in this book are, and I would highly recommend it. Okay, next book is Principles of Neurophysiological Assessment, Mapping, and Monitoring, second edition. Uh, don't have a year that this was published, but it's by Scott Davis and Alan David Kay. And one of the nice things about this book is that there's also a Kindle edition available. So you can go on Amazon and find it. All right, book number four. Love this one. Neurophysiology in Neurosurgery, a Modern Approach, second edition. This one is hot off the presses in 2023, published by editors uh, Vidran Delitis, Jay Schills, Francesco Sala, and Catherine Seidel. I like this book because it's, it's chock full of great information. It has everything from basics to complex. It has surgery perspectives, neurophysiology perspectives, and the variety of topics that it covers in there are uh, extensive. So I really love this book. It's a great update from the previous one that was published years ago. And uh, you're going you're gonna to put out a little bit of money for it, but I think it's worth it. Okay, next book, Practical Approach to Electroencephalography, first edition. There is also a Kindle edition of this, and it's by Mark Liebenson. I like this because if you're not an EEGer, but you're trying to learn EEG, particularly the basics, and even how to read EEG, um, in terms of just being able to look at it and see the frequencies, this is a great intro book for this. I'm one of those really annoying people that uh, I can just look at EEG and the frequencies just jump out to me. Um, I just I just see them. I always have. Even back in grad school, the first time I stepped in an EEG lab, I looked at it. I just started seeing frequencies. But it's difficult to teach when something comes that natural to you. And I'm not trying to brag. It just is what it is. But this book has some great images in there that I have used to teach other people how to be able to look at EEG and just see the frequencies. So I think that's very helpful. Uh, I love this book. I recommend it to people all the time. Okay. The last book that I'm going to recommend, maybe mention, is a book called Intraoperative Neuromonitoring. It is uh, volume 186 in the Handbook of Clinical Neurology, and this is published by editors Mark Neuer and David McDonald. It is also brand new for 2023. I will say that of the six books that I'm mentioning this is the only one that I haven't fully vetted. So I can't make any specific recommendations. However, I will say that based on what I read about concurrency in neuromonitoring in the first chapter, I'm personally skeptical regarding how much this edition of this book has been updated since the 2008 version, because they're still saying that concurrency is limited to two and occasionally three simultaneous monitoring episodes. And as I mentioned in previous episodes, that is not true. So in any case, 
the authors, uh, I should say the editors, but also the authors of many of the chapters are very well known and respected. So I think some people may find the contents of this book useful, and I'm not going to judge it just because one paragraph in the first chapter wasn't updated since 2008. I am sure that a lot of the other chapters have been updated too. So um, at the very least, check it out, make your own decision as to whether or not you think it's a it's a great resource and uh, let me know i would love to be able to share it back with the rest of the listeners if somebody tells me it's great all right now i'm going to move on to online education this is the last section so there's a few different places where you can find online education for free or cheap and the first thing I'm going to do is give you the social media version, which is that if you go on LinkedIn and you look for a group called Global Innovation or Faisal Jangari, you'll find a whole series of infographics that they've developed and routinely post for anyone to see and use. And these infographics are great because it's a very abridged version of education on a very, very specific topic. So, you know, some of them cover things like generators or montages or different peaks or anatomy, and some of them are probably not as useful from an education perspective, but I think they're all fantastic. And if you're looking for something that's free that you can just go and, you know, look at it and learn a little bit, I think that's a good source. Okay, online education number two is the 360 webinar series, which is sponsored by RTNA. And I just have to uh, stop right here and give you a um, disclaimer that uh, I'm connected to this group and I help uh, the folks who, who put on this webinar, uh, I help them do it. Um, but I really don't believe I have any conflicts of interest. I mean, we do this for free for everybody because we just want to elevate the educational experience for all and so um you know there's nothing shady going on there we're not using people's email addresses or target marketing or selling those addresses or anything like that it's just free education for all so again if you follow rtna on linkedin you'll see announcements for this quarterly webinar it's free to watch the webinar you can watch it live or recorded, and you get two and a half CEUs or Category 1 CMEs. The CEUs can be used towards your CNIM recertification. So there you go. You don't even have to view it live. You can watch it recorded, but it's out there. It's free. And if you think about it, if the only education you ever did, which I'll discourage this, but if the only education you ever did was this 360 webinar series, you would always qualify for CNIM renewal when it comes up. Think about it. Okay, the next education online offer, I just found out about this, but there is a group called NeuroPathway, and they have free on-demand CEUs. If you go to their website, which is www.myneuropathway.com, you will see that they have, as I said, free on-demand CEUs. These CEUs would apply for your CNM recertification. And they also, if they don't presently have it, I know they're launching soon, a CNM mini prep. So uh, I don't know if that's going to be free or not. You'll have to check in with those folks, but uh, go check out their website. They didn't ask me to tell you. It's just something that I came upon. 
Okay, the last online resource that I'm going to share with you, and I think this is a fantastic resource, is uh, ASNM webinars. So if you join ASNM or you're already a member, you get lots of online resources for free with your membership. There are six webinars per year. They are presented live, but they're also on the website as uh, recordings. So if you miss the live one, you can just go on and watch the recording. And they even have an online CNIM concepts course, which teaches some information uh, about the CNIM uh, exam and uh, maybe maybe helpful for folks who are uh, just trying to brush up on uh, basic information or uh, learn it for the first time or just trying to gather as much information as possible to uh, to prepare for uh, CNIM certification. Anyway, you get, in addition to these six webinars that air during the course of the year, in addition to getting those for free, you also get a reduced rate to two online symposia each year and the annual meeting. And by the way, the ASNM annual meeting is in Washington, D.C. in May of 2024, and I'll be inducted as president. So uh, come join me in D.C. next year. The last thing I want to say is ASNM webinars, they offer both CEUs and CMEs. And the CEUs, I know they're not from ASSET, but they still count toward CNIM recertification. Okay? So they do not need to come from ASSET. Um, there are organizations that are recognized by ABRET. ASNM is one of them. And uh, our uh, CEUs can be used toward CNIM recertification. And I know I didn't mention ASSET, um, and I should have. They have some great online resources as well. I've participated in a couple of webinars. You do have to pay for them even after you've uh, joined as a member. But they just have a different model of how they charge for things. It all washes out in the end, but uh, they do have some great resources as well. Okay, for real now, the last thing that I want to say is I know it's difficult to find these resources that I mentioned in this podcast because you're probably like listening in your car or something. So if you write to me, I'll be happy to send you some info. Like I said earlier, I am toying with the idea of launching a website to complement this podcast. It's uh, a work in progress. It's a lot of work, in fact, and I need to put more work into it, more thought into it. But when it's available, I'll let you know. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. If you have other educational resources that you'd like to share, feel free to let me know so I can share them with the audience in future episodes. I think people like to hear about what educational resources are out there, particularly if they're free or cheap. So please continue sending me your comments, critiques, and thought-provoking questions, you can send them to stimulatingstuffpodcast at gmail.com. You know I love hearing from you. I'm Rich Vogel, and that was Stimulating Stuff. The information and opinions provided in this podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent the opinions of their employers, affiliates, or other third-party individuals or organizations. Sponsorship and other advertising messages do not constitute support of or preference for specific products or services. 
This podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services. This podcast is host and all participants, including guests and sponsors, collectively participants, provide general information for entertainment purposes only. The information provided in this podcast is not a substitute for medical or professional opinion, and you should not use the information for that purpose. Participants shall not be held liable or responsible for any advice, course of treatment, diagnosis, or any other information, services, or product you obtain or render. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. Thank you for listening.